Uh, Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And we're going to just read verses uh, 8 through uh, 18 here at the beginning. And then we're going to go back after the introduction and pick up more context. But the title of the message is, taking a break from the uh, Chosen in Christ series, the title of the message is Christ the Difference Maker. Christ the Difference Maker. I'm using a uh, new microphone. The other one was cutting out because I had hit it so many times. I think I pulled some wires apart. Uh, Steve Brown brought it to my attention that the it was crackly, so I got another one um, this week, so hopefully it'll work good. It's got a, like a six-foot cord so I can like get charismatic now. Only six feet. I got a leash. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 8. Above when he said, Sacrifice an offering and burnt offerings for sin, you did not desire, neither did you have pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Lo, I come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. By this will, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And indeed, every priest stands daily ministering and offering often the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from then on expecting until his enemies are made his footstool. By one offering, he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. The Holy Spirit also is a witness to us, for after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and into their minds, and I will write them. Also, he adds, their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. Now, where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. As I said, we're going to go back and, and pick up some context before that and uh, after this introduction here. Uh, our local church here is called Gospel of Grace Ministries. Uh, there's a reason for that choice using that particular name. One of the reasons is we know that the Word of God, well, first of all, that phrase is used in the Scripture, the Gospel of God's Grace. But we know that the Scripture emphasizes that the Gospel itself is the power of God unto salvation. Romans 1.16 and also in Corinthians it talks about the, the power and wisdom of God that God uses as a means to save his people. And we know that this gospel is one of grace. 
Scripture gets specific on that. It's the grace of God in Christ, which means in and by and through the Lord Jesus Christ, conditioned on Him because of Him for His sake. And we know that this gospel must be centered on the truth of the person and work of Christ, what he did to accomplish redemption through the blood of his cross. We have so many people talking about the gospel, throwing that word around, and they talk about, they emphasize more of what's done with it than what it is in reference to it being done by that person. It's a very popular notion, false notion. We see that the focus throughout the whole Bible, the whole Word of God, the actual summation of the priority of the Gospel itself is the message that feeds the church after salvation. And that focus and priority is Christ and Him crucified. That simple view that that's been summed up by Paul and, and other writers. But Paul said uh, that he's determined not to know anything among, when he was talking to Corinthians, among them except this one message, Christ and Him crucified. We know also he said in Galatians uh, 6.14, we sang a song that had the same line in the chorus, that um, God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is, this is the church's diet. We easily can dispel that, dispel that myth that once one saved, we can get the gospel tossed to the side, and now we can go on to something else. <laughs> uh, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. So, that, Christ and Him crucified, is our salvation. It is what we glory in. And it is our only hope of assurance. And so that is our constant determination that we hold out the gospel. We, we hold it forth. We set it forth. The gospel of grace. The grace of God in Christ. And that we are resolved to preach it and to teach it and to love it and to promote it, to defend it, to spread it as far and as often as it is within us to do so. That God would give us the grace and the power and the boldness and the means to do that. That is our goal here. And that should be the goal of every true gospel church in the world. And if it's not, then, then something's wrong. Something. Something is wrong in such a way that it will, members of the body will be weak as a result of not following through on that. So, we stated what we believe and what we, <clears throat> our goal should be to <clears throat> strive for in reference to this gospel. In other words, what I'm trying to say, and I've said many times before, we're into it. Simple common street language. We are, in, we are into it. Uh, uh, we should be ate up with it. That's another phrase. Uh, I, I used this, this example uh, before. Uh, 
coming from the mouth of somebody that uh, doesn't attend here anymore, when I asked uh, where one of their relatives were that claimed to believe this gospel, and they told me, well, that's, that's not really fair that you even asked that because you're a pastor and you're into it. I mean, at this point, I mean, that's, if it wasn't sad, it would be laughable. But if it catches you on guard, it's laughable first. But you think about it, and it's, that's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Now, I know people grow in grace, and they become more into it. Uh, it's kind of weird that some people talk about this uh, mindset that we had when we were first converted, that we were on fire, and then later, we're not. That shouldn't work that way. It should be that we are into it all the more. And that when we gather, it is more important to gather in reference to the gospel because the days are evil and we see the day approaching that the world is against us. And it's more important each week, to each week it's more important than the week before, to gather. And we should be growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we grow, are we going to cast those ideas off that, well, we've grown and matured, we, we kind of don't need that stuff anymore, and we're not as into it or excited about the gospel. That doesn't make sense. That's a weird statement to make, that when we're initially converted, there's this fire that we don't have later. It doesn't match. I don't see that in Scripture. So we're into it. Why? Well, by the power of God. We know it's the same power that raised Christ from death, Ephesians 1, like around between 14 and 18, somewhere there. That's a lot of power. And that turns our world upside down. It changes our minds. It got our attention. And it changed our minds once and for all time. In other words, it changed our life for the rest of our life. But there's another thing, and I talked about it here and there, um, and I don't talk about it every week because when people are here, they need to be fed concerning them, what Christ has done for them, and what they need to do in the ministry. But this is really, this tops this. This tops this. It's something more important than us. It's the fact, or in other words, the truth, and it can be summed up in Scripture also, that God Almighty is into it. That's more important than us being into it. It's, we're into it, is the effect from Him being into it. It's, it's all about the gospel of grace. He, he's all about it. And it speaks of Christ and Him crucified. And we know that that message magnifies who God is more than anything that is available. And it's purposed that way. It magnifies God more than anything ever has or ever will. 
And I think I can make good on that by connecting that up with, I had just mentioned about the same power that worked in us that was used to raise Christ from the dead. Later on in that text, in Ephesians 1, it talks about the position that Christ is exalted to. And it's because of what he did. And it talks about the language in reference to past, present, and future. It's like the highest place he can be, now and forever, world without end, this world or any other world, and anybody cannot affect it. And that's where he is because of that. That proves, that's just one text that proves what I said, that that death and the interaction between the Father and Son, as he poured out his wrath and Christ satisfied justice, was the most important thing in the world. We always talk about that is why the world was created, for that to happen, and that it magnified him more than anything that ever has or ever can be. That's why he's into it. It's important to him. And I hope that makes sense. When we see that, it should make us sober-minded to stop and think, wow, this is pretty important. This is important how we handle this, how we deal with it. We must be sober-minded. We must. This, what this should do is bring out an awe and respect and reverence to God for who he is and what his purpose is from throughout all eternity that this is the most important thing. Are we engaged with what is the most important thing to him? If those things match up, it's, it's, a, pretty good, it's a pretty good mindset that we will have as we live by faith. We'll be engaged with what he's engaged with. We are into it because he was first into it. It's not a scripture. But doesn't it remind you of, we love him because he first loved us. There's an effect there. <clears throat> Whenever I say the truth is more important than us, I'm alluding to this, what I just said the last minute or two. Right? So, shouldn't that fact cause us to meditate on, uh, to, to ponder on, to dwell on, to think about what God Almighty has wisely, eternally, perfectly accomplished, first and foremost, for himself? That's, that's what I want to stress. He did it for himself. Right there should be plenty enough evidence that Christ must, at all costs, be clearly shown. Not just in having all preeminence. We know that. We know he has all preeminence. But, that, but in that, it must be shown that he alone is to be shown as being the difference maker in the whole thing. And that's the title of the message, Christ the Difference Maker. So when we talk about the gospel, it's him, the difference maker, which takes it outside of ourself, not what we do to make the difference. But the gospel is a finished work of him making the difference, period. 
Anything after that is an appeal or call to believe, yeah. But the gospel, proper, explicit, is Christ and Him crucified. Don't touch that. Don't add your stuff to it. Don't get in the way of it. Do we see our task in the ministry now? That's it. And even, even the appeal, or the call, that's got to be right too. But if the first part's not right, the other part doesn't even matter. So this is about his righteousness. Now we know this. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation because the righteousness of God is revealed in it, which is the righteousness that Christ established by his obedience unto death. And that righteousness is secured for his people to be imputed into their account for justification. Of course, we know that was grounded and based upon the effectual, sufficient, finished, accomplished work of Christ. Nothing short of that. So it's about his righteousness. So we have to hold that standard up. If we, if we shave that down or trim that off and, and show that it's his righteousness <clears throat> plus some of your own personal righteousness added, you're dead. It's, it's going back into the administration of death. So, just a note here. Our gospel must show this. He alone made the difference between saved or lost, heaven and hell. If our gospel doesn't show that, we failed. If you don't have a gospel that, that shows that, just be quiet. Uh, don't tell anybody you're a member of Gospel Grace Ministries. We don't want the reputation of not being focused on this exclusive message. This is not some elite gospel that we've got the cherry on top and everybody else has a substandard gospel that still works. This is the only gospel available. This is a gospel that all God's people have. It's the only one available. Just as God is the only exclusive God and Christ is the only exclusive way to that God, there's only one gospel. And, and when it comes to gospel, God does not play because, like we said, he is into it. He's got his reputation in it. He's got his character attributes vested in it. We can't hedge on this stuff. I, and We can't care or worry about what people say. And they're going to say a lot. They do, every week, every day. And it's promised that we'll receive persecution for it. Let's go to verse 1 back in our text and we can grab some of this context. Uh, verse 1. So we're going to show you a lot of contrasts. Old and New Covenant. True Gospel, False Gospel. True Christ, False Christ. Distinctions of God's standard. His righteousness. Um, what it used to be. Why it was that what it is now, and why it is the way it is now. For the law, which has a shadow of things to come, not the very image of the things, appearing year by year with the same sacrifices, which they continually, which they offer continually, they are never able 
to perfect those drawing near. First of all, we have, it mentions the law. Really, or anything else in the Old Covenant, which is, that's the whole system, the Old Covenant system, was a conditional covenant. We know the reason, clearly we know the reason, why it was given. It was given so that transgressions may be added. In other words, it was given to show the high standard of the law, that the law was given to show that you can't keep it. That's why it was given. It's for the knowledge of sin. The law was never given to give life. It can't, it doesn't, it hasn't, it won't, it never will. <clears throat> it, it shows here the, the weakness of it, of that covenant, in that it's not showing the substance, but it's only showing the shadow of the substance. And notice that these sacrifices that were brought had to be continually brought every year because they didn't work. We'll see more of that through as we go down here. It says that they, they were never able to make those people perfect who were in that system. We know that uh, the Old Covenant is weak and barely when contrasted with the New Covenant. We, we hear Paul use that phrase in... Um, Galatians, I want to say it was chapter 5. He said, why are you, going, why are you guys uh, missing the, the message here of the accomplished work of Christ alone and you're going back into the weak and beggarly elements of uh, these, these three things at least that they were going into with circumcision, uh, special days, and foods. In other words, they were adding to something that was to complete the already complete work of Christ, which was implying that Christ's work was not enough, which uh, should not be divorced from the issue that he himself, as a person, did not succeed. Of course, that would go into his attributes and expose the fact that that false Christ did not have the attributes of the one that we talk about. So it perverts both his person and work, as does uh, several other current and past denominations under the umbrella of so-called Christianity. The old covenant conditions could not make the difference. That's what I'm trying to say about that. So the old covenant, of course, was set up to not be what does the saving, but to show that it could not be done. Salvation by works or conditions under the law was in view there, showing that that's an impossibility, it's a curse, and it's not the difference maker. That's the loud announcement, the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant, everything contained in it, what's done in it, put your hands in it, it's death, it's not the difference maker. That's the message. Verse 2, For then... They did not cease to be offered because worshipers, when they had uh, been once and for all purged, would have no, would have had no more conscience of sin. There's, he's saying that if it if it worked the way that the new covenant works, or the way even they thought it was going to work, if it really did work, 
they wouldn't have any more need for any more sacrifices or you know, their conscience would be purged from dead works. But it didn't work that way. And it didn't work that way on purpose. That's why it was in place. It didn't happen in the Old Covenant. Verse 3, but, it's an important word, but, you know, counterwise, here's a different idea. In those sacrifices, the ones that didn't work, there is a remembrance, again, of sins every year. It's because they didn't work. Those sacrifices didn't work. Why? Verse 4. For or because... There's a lot of those becauses that just keep hooking up with one another. It kind of reminds me of uh, a lot of things Paul writes, in, especially in Romans. It's just this gigantic logic chain that goes throughout. Why? Why didn't it work? Because it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Did we catch the end of that in clarity? It is not possible. You know, it's never been possible. It never has been. It isn't now. And it never will be. The blood of animals were not, was not the difference maker. So you had the law. First of all, it wasn't the difference maker. Okay, plan B. Let's do some sacrifices. That can't work. It's impossible. God says, so that's not the difference maker. These are established facts. This is why the warning of the book of Hebrews to the Hebrew Christians, don't go backwards, don't go back into that stuff. It won't and can't and doesn't and never will make the difference. Verse 5, then... When he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but you have prepared a body for me. So what we're going to see here, we're going to start seeing that the Father is pleased with Christ. He's only pleased with Christ. Not the shadow of the substance, but the substance itself. The shadow is weak and beggarly. We're looking for the substance. Now faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's what we're looking for. The just will live by that, by faith. Faith in the difference maker, Christ. Verse 6, In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have had no pleasure. Zero. Because they can't make the difference. They're only a shadow, anyway. So this is coming from God, who shall do all his pleasure. Right? This is this is the the description of the sovereign God who shall do all of his pleasure. His sovereignty, in other words. This is the the statement of the sovereign God, and of course the sovereign God set it up this way from before time. So we see the value here of satisfaction that God desires and has planned and will get. How? 
how 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 he will we how will he get that? <clears throat> Verse seven starts to talk about that. Then I said, "Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It's written of me to do your will, O God." <clears throat> If you read that without the brackets, <clears throat> then I said, Lo, I come to do your will, O God. That's the purpose of Christ. And in brackets, it's kind of a note like saying, This is what the whole book says about me, that that's what I'm going to come and do. The whole volume of the book is written about me coming to do that. To do your will. So getting the will of God done is the priority of Christ. Do you think that this was considered in the eternal purpose of God? Before time? And you know it is. And we, we talked about that in uh, our Chosen in Christ series. We did four messages uh, on the eternal covenant of grace. That was the topic of it. That was the centerpiece of it. That this is the plan, purpose, will, desire, pleasure of God, His counsel to do this, to foreordain all that stuff, to make it happen. Above when He said, sacrifice and offering and burnt offering, verse 8, and offering for sin, notice, you did not desire, neither did you have pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law according to the Old Covenant. The law that's involved in the Old Covenant. Then he said, Lo, I come to do your will, O God. And what, what does he do by doing that? He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. Here you have a, a, a righteousness of the law, that was set up to show that you can't have that, you can't do that, you can't have a righteousness of your own that is established by you taking hold of the law, anything about the law and doing it. So he takes away the first because it was set to fail because of man's flesh, can't do that. And he establishes the second. And the second is him satisfying the law, him obeying and satisfying the law, and establishing his own righteousness. That's by the blood of the new covenant. That's his person, his work, his merit, his glory, his honor, his credit. That's the doing of the will of God. So he, here he's a complete substitute in and of himself. But what he does, too, he just doesn't become a substitute for his people. He substitutes covenants. He takes the one out, puts the other in its place. Not just merely a changing of administration of the old covenant. It's a new covenant. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. It's an actual removal of the first in order to establish the second. It's not a patch-up of the old or a switch of administrations. 
And he says here, by this will, verse 10, by this will, now, what's that talking about? King James says, by the which will. It's talking about the verses previous that he came in the volume of the book to do the will of God. By this will, him doing the will of God. We are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So again, by this will is just Christ saying, I come to do your will, O God. That's the will that's spoken of. And we know what that will was. It's, he's a sacrifice. And he accomplished it. That that will of the Father was, notice, the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. It's right in the same verse. And previously said, a body you have prepared for me. That's it, right there. He came to be a sacrifice. Christ doing that is said here to be what? Sanctified. Set apart or made holy those for whom the sacrifice was for. So, the question is, who is the difference maker here? That's, that's an easy one, right? Christ. As if I had to give you the answer. And, and notice for how long. Notice for how long. Once and for all. This is talking about time, length of time. It's not talking about extent of who it's for. We know that it's for the elect. This is not talking about once and for all people. The context demands it's talking about length of time. It's what we've been talking about so far in the whole, the whole chapter. About what can be done satisfactory for how long. And that the old covenant is not satisfactory because you've got to keep you know, repeating the sacrifices. And here, the point is that Christ, his sacrifice was finished. It was done once and for all time, never to be repeated. That's the point. And we know, uh, several reasons for that, we know that he did it perfectly the first time, there's no need to repeat it. It was complete, it was finished. There, there's no... There's no more sacrifice for sins. It's the only one available. There's no need for any other. Right? And verse 11, and, it, and indeed every priest stands daily and offering often the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. So the priests couldn't make a difference. They couldn't be the difference makers. The sacrifices they offered couldn't be the difference makers. It's already shown the reason for the sacrifices because the law couldn't be the difference maker. You see the compounding thing in the Old Covenant? You're just constant. We need to find a difference maker. All kind of years go by. Millions of gallons of blood of innocent animals was shed just showing the law wasn't a difference maker. 
the priests weren't the difference maker. The animals weren't the difference maker. All the elaborate stuff in the temple and on the altar, all that, none of that's the difference maker. At best, it's only a shadow of the one to who is to come who's the difference maker. The substance, the Lord Jesus Christ. They could not make the difference. Those shadowy things could not make a difference. Verse 12. But this man, the word but, counterwise, this one, this man, after he offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. So this man, the focus of the subject of the text, Christ, the God-man, the God-man mediator of the new covenant, who is the substance where faith is to be invested and committed, there's a contrast of him with the whole other system that was set up to show that it wouldn't work anyway and could never satisfy God. So this man, who was God in the flesh, offered one sacrifice of himself for sins that would never ever need repeating again because it forever satisfied his father. That's about as simple as you can put it. So much so that the Father was the one who, remember, highly exalted him to the right hand of the throne. That's what it means when he sat down. He sat down. The old covenant priests never sat down. They weren't allowed. And the main reason was to show their work was never done because that system could never finish the work, could never satisfy God. Sacrifices were repeated because they weren't enough. They couldn't make the difference. Sacrifices were repeated because the law was not satisfied in that system. So it kept, it kept people grappling for, looking for, we need a difference maker. There is none in this system. That's why it's the administration of death. That's why it is the curse. The Father made Christ Lord. He made Him Lord. From an earned mediatorial lordship for doing the will of the Father, satisfying the demands of God's law and justice. And it may sound weird to some people that God made him Lord. Let's look where that's at. Acts chapter 2. We'll come back to our, our um, text here in a second. Acts chapter 2 and verse 29. Men and brothers, it's permitted to say to you that uh, with plainness, as the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, 
and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God swore with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit upon his throne. Seeing this beforehand, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, nor would his flesh see corruption. God raised up this Jesus, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, because of that, notice this, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this which you now see and hear. Because David has not ascended into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I place your enemies as a footstool to your feet. Therefore, because of that, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God made this same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. This is in reference to his lordship of established, earned, gathered up, righteousness that was merited by his obedience unto death that is reserved and secured for his people to be imputed to their account in each successive generation as he brings them to himself at that time, he earned that lordship. He was already lord of all before. He was lord creator, lord of providence. He's God. Of course he's lord. But this is different. This is a lordship that had to do with his mediation. The blood of the new covenant. And part of earning that is that he submitted to the will of God, agreed to voluntarily perform this work to establish righteousness. He humbled himself, all the things that we've, we've read about in the last few weeks, about um, being a servant, uh, making himself of no reputation, humbled himself into, the, into death, even the death of the cross. It's not just any crucifixion. Several people got crucified. The difference maker there was the Father pouring out his wrath on Christ. So as a result, he was rewarded, exalted, given a name which is above every name. He's the difference maker. He's Lord of all. This is real lordship salvation. We submit to him. We obey him. He's in charge. He's sovereign Lord. He's Lord of all. Go back to our text and let's look at verse 13. After he did this, after he completed this, it says in verse 13, from then on expecting until his enemies are made his footstool. Well, I guess so. That was the promise. 
Several things in the covenant the Father promised Christ. This was one. I just mentioned a, a text out of Philippians 2 about um, concerning every name. His name is above every name that at the name of Christ that uh, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. Um, they're going to, everybody in the end will bow to him. Now, some of his enemies bow to him before that. Do you remember being God's enemy? He reconciled us unto himself. We are no longer enemies, but now we are his friends. Because we have a mediator. We have a substitute representative. Now, his, his mediatorship was effective. He drew us into himself, and now we are reconciled to the Father. The, the wrath of God is no longer against us. It's been propitiated or satisfied by Christ, the difference maker. Not what we do with it, but what he did at the cross. And he was promised, if you do this, you're going to be raised up. You're, you're, you won't suffer corruption. You'll be raised up. Not just that. As I alluded to earlier, the latter part of um, Ephesians 1, you're going to be raised up. Highest place that you can be raised, now and forever, in any generation, for all time. It's, it's like, I, I can't use enough language to express how far he's been risen and exalted and he should be seen. We'll take the rest of our lives trying to figure out how to express the, the reverence and what took place there and keep seeing more and more and more of it. It's, it's, uh, it's deep. <clears throat> And there's all kind of space for us all to grow to see it more clearly, see it uh, more highly. And uh, when we do that, what's it do? It brings us down. That's what it's designed to do. The phrase there, it says, from then on expecting until his enemies be made his footstool. From then on, what's that mean? From then on, when? Since the time he sat down. There's still some promises yet to be fulfilled that are going to take place that the Father promised. And the one is, all his enemies shall be made his footstool. We're, we're some of them. We are, we are nice and cozy there at his feet. Already. Worshipping him for what he has accomplished. Verse 14. We could preach weeks on the, the meat here. The meal. For by one offering. That's the emphasis throughout here. When it contrasts covenants. Once and for all time is all that's needed because of this one person can do this. He's the only one that can do this. Can satisfy the Father. You only need to satisfy the Father one time. And if Christ has satisfied the Father for me, doesn't that tell you, if you believe that too about yourself, in other words, if you believe the Gospel, lay down your attempts to satisfy the Father. It's done. 
And as you obey God, look to Christ who has satisfied the Father. That's your incentive. That's your motive. And unless you have that in view, you're just, a, you're just an idol factory. You're producing dead works, self-righteousness, which is not the difference maker, but it's a stench in God's nostrils. It's a sacrifice he doesn't want. It's not acceptable. It's strange fire on the altar. It is, even though it may be your best sincere efforts, it is filthy rags and crap. Isaiah and Paul, according to them, under the inspiration of the Spirit. One offering is all it took to satisfy the Father. He did it. And only, and only He, who, the type of person He is, the only unique person in, that's ever been or ever will be, that is both God and man. Perfect. The perfect offering has perfected forever not to ever be repeated again. He's perfected forever those who are sanctified. That's his people. Now perfected here means to complete, accomplish, consecrate, finish, fulfill, or to make perfect. So we can see that Christ is the difference maker here by what he has finished. Verse 15. The Spirit also is a witness to us. For after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. And also, he adds, their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. See, this is the difference in what this one time forever sacrifice does. The effect of it is, it results in this idea here, this truth, that because the sins and iniquities were placed on Christ, and that one time offering, once and for all time, forever, actually satisfied the wrath of the Father. That means the Father is just in saying, these people have been justified, and that I cannot and will not impute their sins to their own account. In other words, I'm not going to remember their sins. How can I? They're gone by that one sacrifice. Now, if uh, it was set up in such a way that it was conditional, which it's not, the new covenant is not conditional, the death of Christ is uh, not partly done by him, and then there's conditions on us, and then if we don't fulfill those conditions, then he'll say, okay, you didn't fulfill those conditions. I will remember your sins at judgment. There's enough people that already believe that garbage. It's a false gospel. It is set up in such a way that this person, Christ, the perfect one, who was born under the law, through the means of the Virgin Mary, sinless humanity, perfect deity, the God-man, 
he obeyed that law in every jot and tittle. The will, the intent, the motive, his incentive, his goal was to do the will of the Father, and that was it, to come and do that. And he mounted that cross, and he had the sin of God's people charged to his account, imputed, reckoned, legally transferred to his account. He took that on. He bore their sin. He became guilty for the sin of someone else, his people. And God's wrath did not wink at him. God's wrath showed no mercy on him. God's wrath was poured out and it meted out the demands of God's law and justice right there. And he put sin away by the sacrifice of himself. He propitiated the wrath of God. He stopped the wrath of God, satisfied the wrath of God by what he did with God's demands against his people in his own person. To the point where he said, it's done. I'm, I'm finished with this. It is finished. The job that I had to do in this one sacrifice for all time is complete. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. And then God raised him up and did what we said a second ago. He placed him in the highest spot that can be placed in this world or any world to come, now and forever. Amen. <clears throat> I mean, here we have a... If you can't get assurance out of that, you're not hearing it. So this particular promise of the New Covenant shows a, a stark contrast to the Old <clears throat> because the sins of the old were remembered every year. The priests had to continually do their thing. They couldn't sit down. They weren't done. And it showed the law broken. And then plus it was stated that this blood of these animals could never ever take away sin anyway. Do you see the redundancy here? Uh, it's like every verse, uh, hello, hello. <laughs> Where's the difference maker? Here he is. Notice, uh, says that their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. Now, iniquities, you know, they use that phrase, that, that translation in the King James Version. It means lawlessness. Some people, I, I, there's probably a lot of people that read over that, don't even know what that means. It means lawlessness. So their sins and their lawlessness... I will remember no more. Now, I, I, I would like to eventually do some time, and, and maybe to come up in a conference, this, this idea here of what the covenant was talking about, of these laws I've written on their heart. Uh, I know what a lot of people say about that, and they, and they turn that into a conditional thing. Where, okay, yeah, now uh, Christ died, and he, now the law's on your heart, and, and now this is a new condition. You've got to perform under that. So the focus is on what you do with the Spirit of God working in you, and now it's become conditional that way, with the help of the Spirit, of course. That goes against this here, where it says, their sins and their lawlessness I will remember no more. 
I mean, this covenant here, it's not, it's not saying that, okay, this is the softer Jesus. He's not the God of the Old Testament. He's come in, he's softened it up, he's lowered the standard, and um, I don't know, he'll infuse a little spark in you, and let's bring him down and bring you up. And now, it's not the law, it's desire, sincerity. I mean, come on, it's, it, God just, he, he, he only demands just to do your best. Come on, man. And then if you if you are working and um, you seem to doubt your salvation, then isn't that the best evidence that you are saved because you're worried about your salvation? That is the most insane thing I've ever heard in my life. And the focus becomes not on the difference maker. It's become double-minded. Let's have split difference makers now. Well, you know what Paul said to Galatians? He said, get off the fence here. Make a decision here. This one's a false gospel. This is a true gospel. It's for me and my house. We're going to serve the Lord. That wasn't Paul that said that, but you know, same idea. What the prophet said. It's what we should be saying. I'm not playing that game. I don't care what people call me. I expect it. When you expect it, it's easier to plow through. Just roll with it. What made the difference? What is the ground of that? It's not going to be some new but conditional covenant. No. We know and we understand that because it's Christ alone that's the difference maker by what he accomplished and what he actually finished. I mean, that's an elementary idea about he finished the work. I mean, that was objectively done outside of ourselves. It's history. You can't get in there and manipulate it. It's done by him, and it's already passed. Can't do anything about it. Can't do anything about it. Can't change it. Can't add to it. You can't get in there. Can't affect it. The work is done. In that sense, the battle is over. The victory has been won. Verse 18. And now where remission of these is, and this is important right here, there is no more offering for sin. Stop trying to bring an offering for your sin. Don't ever attempt it one time. There is no offering for sin that you can bring. The offering for sin is Christ. He's already completed the offering. It's his own self. He made the difference. If you are counting on part of what you're doing as an offering to be the difference between heaven and hell, it will be the difference between heaven and hell. You're going to hell. That's the point. Therefore, brothers, having boldness. This is what I'm trying to stress in this message. It's, it's, either, it's either you're in or you're out. All the, all the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen. It's not, uh, let me think, I wonder, or maybe, let's 
mix it. Let's be double-minded. A double-minded man is unstable in just a little bit of his ways, in all his ways. It's foolishness. Boldness. Therefore, brothers, having boldness to enter into the Holy of Holies. How? By your own human boldness? By your confidence in your flesh? By, you know, I've been doing pretty good lately. Uh, progressed and, uh, you know, uh, I think I'm ready now to bust in the throne with boldness. Because I'm sinning so much less. But I did a meme the other day. I think it's in my albums on Facebook. One scientist guy with the crazy hair, you know. He's a younger guy trying to look like Einstein or something. Goofy guy. I said, my personal holiness has grown so much that I'm getting stretch marks. I mean, I think that's kind of the idea of boldness in some people's minds. There's the same people that say, I've been doing pretty good this week. I can take the Lord's Supper. Give me a give me some extra. Give me a give me a, a mug. I just don't want one of them little things. I thank God that I'm not like other men. That's the attitude, right? Boldness to enter into the Holy of Holies by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's how. By the blood of this is the blood of the new covenant. By a new and living way. Not a change up of the old way. Not a, not a revamping of the old way. Not a spiffing up of the old way. Not a hybrid way. A new and living way. The old way was the way of death. The administration of death. This is a new and living way. which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. There's that body that was prepared. He's the sacrifice. He's the difference maker. Verse 21, And having a high priest over the house of God, that's, that's the church, believers, let us draw near with a true heart in what kind of assurance? Full assurance of faith. Now look, get this. If your faith is really in the difference maker, in Christ, the Lord our righteousness. If your faith is in, that is the object of our faith, by the way. And when the Father gives the gift of faith through the power of the Holy Spirit to work that in us, that faith has the proper object. And it is this person. It is this high priest that's over the house of God. And if we are to... Um, see him the way that we've been talking about him here today, our assurance will be full. And if it is not, that means that we're not looking to him. We're splitting the difference. We're sharing the difference maker. I make a little bit, he makes a little bit. Of course, mine's smaller, and his is, his is the majority. Um, his is 99.9, .9 and I, I mean, come on, people. 
they say. This is the work of God, that you believe on him. And then they say that God doesn't believe for you. Right? What does that mean? Does that mean you believe out of your flesh? We already saw the work, the energy, the monergistic energy that comes from God to make you believe. If God doesn't make you believe, you're not going to believe. And he gives you a heart, a new heart, from this new and living way that is so automatic because of his power that you want to do nothing but believe. It's called irresistible grace. There's no tension there. That idea, there's no paradox there. God does the work. God does the work. Faith is not a work. Scripture says faith is not a work. You can play games with that all you want. Try to say that it's a work of man. Or it's a work that man does. It's not a work. It's of grace. Uh, later in the election series, we'll deal with that. We're going to camp in that whole area there of how, of the, how that works. What that looks like. Let us draw near with a true heart, full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies having been washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith, that's the object of our faith, the difference maker, without wavering. For he is faithful who promised. I'm going to hold forth the profession of our faith without wavering. You know what? Nobody, nobody is going to, nobody, I don't care who, I don't care how many, nobody's going to change my mind about this. I don't care. I don't care how small this local church stays. I don't care if I can't find anybody, if I search for the rest of my life that believes this gospel, I am not going to change. By the grace of God, I'm not going to change, compromise on this. Because when you compromise on this, it is over. There's nothing left. There's no other sacrifice for sin. And if, and if there is an attempt to adjust this message... Everything we've said in all these verses is like an avalanche down to the pit of hell. No assurance. No salvation. You're going back into the old system of the administration of death. That's just it. It's, it's black or white. That's it. There's no in-betweens here. Let us consider one another to provoke one another to love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. So it's important to, we know the world is against this message that we're talking about here today. The world hates it. There's promise of persecution. 
these last few verses there just show the importance of why we have to get together in unity, encourage one another, build each other up, because, I mean, who's here? Very, very few. How many people do you know outside of this group that you work with or related to? And how far do you got to drive to find anybody else that believes this and teaches this? You see how important the last few verses there are. Now, these, these Hebrew Christians were being persecuted. They were raised in this tradition of Moses and Abraham and the law and all this stuff that the writer of Hebrews was saying, it's done. I mean, imagine, your, imagine compare the, these people to just the small experience you guys have gone through where you were converted and then you started to come out of those false scriptures. How hard it was, not because of the gospel, but because of the Maybe the people that you were involved with and you're thinking, I, I need to, before, as I'm going out the door backwards, trying to reform the place, this was worse. These, these were people, these were their families. And some of these people, in their minds, crucified these people in their minds. Just like Paul said in Galatians, you're crucified to me, I'm crucified to you. I don't even know you. I'm not related to you. In my mind, I'm having a crucifixion and a funeral. I'm done with you. Because they hate God and hate His gospel. I mean, this is, this is what it boils down to. This is, this is the sword. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. Divide those of their own household. This is the way that it works. So, as we come together maybe with different amounts of people that we've been separated from because of this gospel. Some it might be one person. Some it might be you're by all by yourself and the whole world's against you as far as all your relatives. It might be that way. And then there's some in between. Uh, it's, pretty, uh, it's pretty lonely. Right? So all the more the reason to gather together and remind each other of this gospel because these um, desperate circumstances that we are put in, where God just kind of brings us back to the only encouragement, really the only eternal encouragement that we have, is Christ being the difference maker. Showing us that we're not. Repeatedly showing us that we're not. And as we uh, may be tempted, as we get weak, and we start to put our hands up, God smack, no, you're not the difference maker. Christ is the difference maker. Put the hand down. Don't touch the plow. It's done. Now, obey him because it's done. But don't. Don't mess with the sacrifice. It's, uh, it's already... Uh, don't poison what's perfect. That's what happens with a false gospel. One drop of poison in the, in the sea of the depths of the, the greatness of what Christ did. One drop. You've poisoned it, and you've made it void, and it doesn't count for you as being the truth of the gospel. Keep your hands out of it. Get out of the way. <clears throat> it's Christ alone. He is the only difference maker, and that's your only hope. Questions or comments? <clears throat> All right.
say this this week and next week, but on uh, July, what was that, 15th? Sunday, July 15th, we're going to have something different here. going to be videotaped. Um, two men will be bringing the message together, not standing up here at the same time, but one after the other. And I, I may add a little bit in there. I don't know yet. Uh, I'm going to be talking with them, going over what they're going to be um, teaching on. And it is uh, um, preservation and assurance, sort of, that idea. All right. So that's going to be happening on uh, the 15th, a couple weeks from now. And I hope to see more of that later. Um, and if not, live video, at least some others may be doing it uh, audio. Have it on sermon audio. Something we did here years ago with with some other people and went quite well. Uh, conference coming up in October, October thirteenth and fourteenth on sanctification. Still in the organization process there. We'll be putting out a uh, a uh, Facebook event when we get all that nailed down. Uh, appreciate everybody listening. All these videos eventually go and are posted to, uploaded to YouTube, where I edit them a little bit. A little first few seconds of starting and all the rattling with the microphone. All right, that's all we got.